The following Dharma talk was given at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota. The speaker is Mark Nunberg, guiding teacher at Common Ground. Nice to be together. Just notice any effects from the time we had to sit together. And this contemplation, again, it's not so much that we're contemplating change as it is that we're interested in aligning with the way it is. And so when we get an instruction like we've been reflecting on this month, the Buddhist teachings on impermanence, it's really that pointing out is just a way to help us see what we might be in the habit of not noticing because of the ways that we've been conditioned by culture and by the other conditioning forces. I really like how some of my teachers have talked about, you know, the insight that comes from cultivating this mindful awareness. Um, and one way this is talked about is opening or realizing, resting in the truth of non-grasping. And it isn't something I do, like, okay, I'm not going to grasp. I'm not going to be attached. I'm not going to cling. We basically are discovering that experience of non-clinging, non-grasping, non-attachment. It's a realization. But it doesn't mean that we just sort of wait around for that insight into non-grasping to happen. There really are some things to do. And one of the things that uh, we're asked to do is bring in this perception of change. Just like, you know, in a lot of our times, you know, we get the instruction to notice the breathing in and to notice the sensations of breathing out. And that simple instruction can be so powerful because when, I, when the mind chooses to be intimate with the physicality of breathing in, the physical sensations of breathing out, I have to drop everything else that I might be obsessing about and I'm just going to be with this. And I learned something like that the mind, that the dramas that I'm mostly entangled with can be put down, can be relinquished. It's a powerful insight. So that comes, that powerful insight comes just from the simple instruction to be aware of breathing in and breathing out. So this instruction to be aware, to perceive, it's almost like we're choosing to have this filter where we're just, the mind, wisdom is just interested in the truth that things are changing, that they're in motion. Bodily sensations, sounds, sights, thoughts, emotions, everything is in motion. And we're choosing to be interested in that, choosing to perceive, to open to the present moment, with that interest that things are changing. And we'll, and then we're curious about, well, what is the impact of being interested in impermanence? Because intellectually, you know, it's very easy with these instructions to go, you know, I already know that things change. You don't need to tell me that. Please go on to the next, you know, important thing you're supposed to tell me. But it's one thing to know intellectually that things change. And it's another thing to bring a lot of interest and patience 
and in moments a lot of fearlessness because there's going to be some pushback as we perceive with impermanence perceive the present moment through the lens of impermanence right it's going to challenge our heart and mind uh, the conditioned habits of our heart and mind so we want to sort of uh, yeah uh, initially dip our toe in but when we see the value when we see how it really supports a deeper learning this deepening of insight then we really want to give ourselves to it and in a way this is the path to nibbana the unconditioned right it isn't so much we can have that deeper insight but we can support its arising really what we're doing is we're undermining how the mind constructs reality because the deep 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 habits we have are about constructing meaning in ways that things appear to be permanent me mine the sense of self has this flavor of permanence like yeah it's me but the buddha would argue and wise people who have done this work patiently over time would argue that actually whatever the sense of self is which is something because it's here i feel my own sense of self i'm sure you do too so it's something but what it is when the mind is more stable it's something that's being constructed moment by moment and in a way the the mind is spellbound by the continuity you know like that sense of me the sense of self that's here right now it's very similar to the sense of me and self that was there a moment ago and 2 minutes ago and half an hour ago so because this is subtle the thinking mind the mind that constructs meaning it simply presumes it's the same it hasn't changed so it takes this patient this very beautiful and pure interest to contemplate reality it changes us and this is for each of us to check out how does this change us i gave the example during the guided meditation you know like a river or life and it's not just of course when we're sitting but all day long including right now we can be perceiving the talk and being here together in this way as a river that's flowing we can learn how to perceive this way that every moment of our life is a river and you know when we're watching a stream or a river the habit of the mind is to notice one thing oh there's a little twig floating oh there's a little rippling of the water over here there's a little this there's a little of that and it's like a staccato one perception of a thing and then the the mind the restless knowing mind knows another thing and then another thing and then another thing moment by moment like that but we can train our mind try it next time you're by moving water for example or if you're lying on the grass and looking up at the clouds and there's enough clouds and they're in motion you can do that so these more obvious things or even when you're with uh, a big you know from a distance watching a crowd of people or a flock of birds at the bird feeder or something like that you'll notice that the deep habit of the mind is to be perceiving in this for lack of a better word a staccato kind of way one thing and then another thing 
and then another thing, right? So there you are, you're watching the chickadees and the wrens and the sparrows and the blue jays and and then you relax your gaze and you're not looking at one object after another, but it's more of a relaxed gaze or seeing and seeing the dance. So instead of fixing the attention, the mind is more interested in the movement of the dance at the bird feeder or the movement of the water in the river or the movement of the clouds or even when you're having dinner with someone and there's this give and take in the conversation, right? We can be aware of that dance, my emotions feeding, triggering your emotions, your emotions feeding and triggering my emotions, the content of your words triggering the content of my words and this river of the interaction between us instead of one conception of myself followed by a conception of who you are followed by a modification of who I think I am or what I think is happening and again this tendency to be living in a staccato way and this is one of the things that can help us uh, develop because it like I mentioned a couple times now it really takes initially developing some trust that we can, in a sense, take... Because part of that, uh, defining things, defining what's happening in the moment, so we have a perception of something that's in motion, but then we sort of solidify that momentary perception, like where we see a twig in the water, or our friend we're having dinner with says something, and then we have a conclusion, okay, this idea of who my friend is or this idea of what my friend is talking about. And then then it's it exists as that thought. So we're no longer in the moment, but we're in this constructed thought. Oh, this is what my friend is talking about. But we're looking at that experience, oh, this is what my friend is talking about, as a as a kind of solid, unchanging truth. So we've actually separated herself, so to speak, from the flow because of this attachment, this fixed way of perceiving, of imagining things are. Can we stay in the flow? And it doesn't really, like, the movement of experience doesn't necessarily change, but how the mind relates and understands is radically different. It's very hard for attachment, identification, grasping to form when we're perceiving the changing nature of experience. So we literally become a different kind of human being when we're perceiving the changing nature. It's really hard to exist in a fixed way. In fact, anything that has the appearance of being fixed is sort of... uh, begins to stand out as, oh, I'm not, the heart isn't really, hasn't yet opened completely. There's something here I haven't really seen or felt yet. Because at some point, there's a tipping point, and the mind then, wisdom begins to expect things to be in motion, flowing on. I think uh, Gabe, Keller Flores, our office manager and one of Common Ground's teachers, put up 
in our blog this article that I mentioned last week by Thich Nhat Hanh, this wonderful Vietnamese Buddhist monk. And I think the title is something like Long Live Impermanence. And really looking at uh, aligning with the truth just makes so much sense. It's so liberating in general to align with the truth of things. And this uh, cultivating the perception of impermanence is just one way, you know, it's like the uh, endowment from our spiritual ancestors from the Buddha on down is they give us this pointing out instruction, right? Because, you know, it makes so much sense that given that we're a human being, we have a body and a mind that we should align with the way it is. Instead of working against nature, let's align with nature and see what can become of this life when we're in alignment with what's moving in us, around us, right? And so we get this pointing out instruction from our spiritual ancestors. They're saying, yeah, and and a very effective way to begin to align with reality is to cultivate this perception of change because there's so much cultural conditioning and other kinds of conditioning forces that have taught the mind, created these habits of perceiving as if things are permanent or as if things are fixed or as if things are separate, apart or dualistic, good and bad, as opposed to this interdependent dance that is actually how the heart experiences when it has learned to relax in the deepest sense, broadest sense. So anyway, Thich Nhat Hanh says here, we think impermanence, or you could say the unreliable, inconstant nature, we think impermanence makes us suffer. It is not impermanence that makes us suffer. What makes us suffer is wanting things to be permanent when they are not. We come into conflict. See, to the degree our mind imagines that I'm a permanent self, it's me, it's been me, it will be me, and we start to see the whole world that way, then we're out of alignment. We're actually in conflict with reality. It's not a good thing to be in conflict with, right? Because reality is going to win. And it takes so much inner tension, physical, mental, existential tension, to remain in conflict with reality. And it is so natural and easeful and liberating to find ways to come into alignment. So just a little bit more from that article that I think you can find on Common Ground's blog. Uh, I think you can get to the blog from our homepage. And it was in last week's weekly email, Long Live Impermanence by Thich Nhat Hanh. This is another place in that article. It's short, it's just a couple pages. When we know that the person we love is impermanent, we will cherish our beloved. Right? And our beloved might be another person. It might be our community. The beloved might be our health. It might be sunshine. It might be a sense of security or safety. When we know that our safety is insecure, we value it. When we know the nice weather is vulnerable to change, our relationships are vulnerable to change, 
we we live with it in a different way. We take care of things in a different way when we know they're insecure, impermanent, subject to change. So this is like a more bigger picture of this reflection that we can keep contemplating for a few more weeks as we continue to reflect on impermanence. With your kids, if you have children, with your partner, if you have a partner, dear friends, with your body, with the health that you have, the security that you have in life, really cultivate that perception of impermanence. Even something seemingly silly like your car or your cell phone. Just know it's just a matter of time before you drop the cell phone and crack the screen or it becomes obsolete or the car falls apart or the relationship changes, the kids move away or their your partner, you know, dies or your partner decides they don't want to be with you anymore or you don't want to be with them. And then it notice how just aligning with that truth of in uncertainty. We're not saying we know that things are going to change. We just know that things are subject to change. We don't know how that change will look. But we believe in, like if we're going to believe in anything, we believe in change. We believe that life is a changing process. It's a dance of causes and conditions. There's no beginning and no end point. And we get this by observing any aspect of nature, whether we're we have an electron microscope and we're looking at things in a very refined, subtle way, or we're looking at the stars, or we're looking at relationships. It really doesn't matter what aspect of nature we study. What we find everywhere at all times is that things are in motion. The only place this appears not to be happening is in the way we think. That kind of meaning that our thinking constructs creates an appearance of things being solid and fixed and set. And therefore we suffer. And that's really a summation of what the Buddha discovered, is that these deep ongoing habits of the thinking mind, the way we construct meaning, the how we view things, right, has been infected with habit, this sort of habit, you could say an addiction to permanence. And here's the kicker really, it's the real tragic kicker to this whole thing, is once we have this idea of permanence, then, like I mentioned earlier, reality becomes a threat. Change, movement, uncertainty, insecurity, vulnerability, right? The changing nature becomes a threat to all of our constructed ideas of permanence. And then here's the weird thing. Then, strangely, we get addicted to the intensity, the sense of self really feeds on the intensity of my security being challenged. So everything I imagine that will give me security, like this person really loves me in the way I want to be loved, and now I feel I really am somebody and I can really trust who I am because this person loves me, right? So, and then I get addicted to the intensity of that idea of being safe. Just like I can get addicted to the activation of my safety being taken, well, maybe this person doesn't love me, 
or maybe Ruth Bader Ginsburg will die before the election. Those of you listening at another time, we just heard yesterday of the really unfortunate death of this wonderful leader, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, Supreme Court Justice. And uh, then for some of us, that was really activating. Oh my God, I didn't want this change. I wanted it at another time or whatever. And we can feel really activated. And here's the weird thing. We get sort of seduced by the intensity of our wrong idea of permanence being challenged. So it's not like we get what we thought we'd get with the idea of permanence. Like, okay, things are set. We actually, the mind, the thinking mind, I guess we could say the neurotic mind, is addicted to how unstable our ideas of permanence are. And it's like a confirmation of the sense of self. Of course I'm real. Of course I'm permanent. I'm permanent because I feel such strong feelings whenever I have the hope of me being safe by getting what I want, having the situation, circumstances I want, and I feel so, so threatened when my safety, my permanence, you know, something happens that threatens that. And of course I'm real and I'm permanent because I feel things so intensely. So this is the real tragedy of what in Buddhism we call ignorance. You know, we, because of habit, the mind ignorantly constructs a sense of self. That sense of self is constantly being tested by the reality of change. That creates some a sense of friction, of misalignment. And then the ego feeds on the intensity of misalignment. You see, so that's why ignorance has so much stability. The Buddha described this in such graphic terms of how long ignorance keeps perpetuating ignorance. Violence perpetuates violence. Greed perpetuates greed. These animating forces of greed, hatred, delusion, really keep, um, it kind of keeps this whole ignorance in motion, the sense of uh, fixed self-emotion. Because it's so intense, from the point of view of ignorance, of imagining ourselves separate, then life, or just the experience of being a human being, is so intense. And that intensity confirms the sense that I am who I think I am. Because why am I feeling things so intensely if I'm not who I think I am? So one of the things to um, get interested in, when we align with nature and the flow of things, things coming and going, something arises more and more, you know, generally gradual, just comes more and more into our life. And for lack of a better word, let's call it neutrality. You know, an evenness, a balance, an equanimity, right? Because we're not surprised by changes. Like, if we were really in alignment with anything can happen anytime, and we got the news of Ruth Bader Ginsburg's dying, wisdom would have just said, yeah, of course, sometimes things happen like this. 
the thing you don't want to happen happens. And it's like this. And there would have been that just that evenness, not the intensity, the catastrophizing, the activation. Oh my God, this, this can't be true. Now what's going to happen? Well, we know what's going to happen. Anything can happen that can happen, right? And we know that we don't know exactly how things will play out, but we do know that things will play out lawfully according to this incomprehensible network of causes and conditions that we can't ever completely comprehend because it's so vast and subtle and unknowable. All the things that are in motion right now in our culture, in all of our hearts, in the world. But we know it will unfold and we know we can't predict it and we certainly can't control it, but we get to participate with it. And we can either participate with it with this in, Buddha, in Buddhist terms, this wrong idea, this perception of permanence, or we can relate to it with a more accurate perception that comes out of aligning and comes from initially from our spiritual ancestors that tell us, hey, try perceiving everything. Try understanding everything with this perspective of change, this normalization of change, of uncertainty, of unreliability. You know, it's funny, it's a little bit like pain just has this negative connotation. And for humans, conditioned the way we are, change can also initially have this connotation of being bad. But of course change isn't bad, it's neither bad nor good, it's just more than anything, but just the way it is. Things are unfolding. And in this article, you know, Thich Han says, well, long live impermanence, it makes everything possible. There's a beautiful poem that uh, a person in the Wednesday Qigong group was sending around to everybody by Maya Angelou. Maybe some of you have seen it before. But it really speaks to this time, for me at least, and maybe for some of you. And the title of the poem is When Great Trees Fall, again by Maya Angelou. When great trees fall, rocks on distant hills shudder, lions hunker down in tall grasses, and even elephants lumber after safety. When great trees fall in forests, small things recoil into silence, their senses eroded beyond fear. When great souls die, the air around us becomes light, rare, sterile. We breathe briefly, our eyes briefly see with hurtful clarity. Our memory suddenly sharpened, examines, gnaws unkind words unsaid, promised walks never taken. Great souls die and our reality, bound to them, takes leave of us. Our souls, dependent upon their nurture, now shrink wizened, our minds formed and informed by their radiance fall away. We are not so much maddened as reduced to the unutterable ignorance of dark, cold caves. And when great souls die, after a period, peace blooms, slowly and always irregularly. Spaces fill 
with a kind of soothing electric vibration, our senses restored, never to be the same, whisper to us, they existed, they existed. We can be, be and be better, for they existed. And to me that's just, anything is possible. And it really matters what we pay attention to, you know, like the death of somebody, you know, in my life, I respected Ruth Bader Ginsburg and just her clarity and fearlessness and, uh, and humility, you know, and uh, so we could focus that, like as a betrayal, an insult, that something we took for granted is gone, or we could be aware that something that wise and clear came to be. Oh, well maybe that arising is still possible today. Maybe other things can arise with real clarity, with, with real power, to help make the world a different place, a better place. And again, it really depends on how we use. If we use impermanence from this habit of, of needing permanence, if we see or experience impermanence as a threat to our permanence, well, we're always going to be uh, creating some catastrophe. In later traditions, you know, we talk, in Buddhist traditions, they talk about bardos, like... Uh, Usually you hear about bardos in terms of when somebody dies and the mind stream is no longer tethered to the body because the body has died. But the momentum of the mind stream has its momentum, but no longer tethered to this time and place, this, re, this physical reality. So then whatever that mind imagines is its entire reality because it, it's not like a dream we have at night and then we wake up and we're back and we sort of have this consensual reality. But in Bardo, in the understanding of Bardo, it's really understanding how the mind can create its own reality and has to sort of navigate that territory. Well, when we imagine that things should be permanent and that I need this permanence to be safe, well then I, one, I've just sort of set in motion a never-ending, um, frustrating, scary reality where I construct some bardo, some idea of me and my world in a way that seems permanent enough until it gets knocked down by reality, which is not fixed. And then I have to create another bardo. And so Bardo, these constructions are always insecure. There's always, in a sense, a suffering being. When we are infected with this idea, this ignorance, that the only thing that's safe is permanence or solidity. And I, the other thing I really liked about this poem from Maya Angelou is just the acknowledging that that betrayal, because this will happen every time we read the news or every time we talk with a friend or every time we see more gray hair or whatever we're noticing that reminds us of the truth of impermanence, right? 
our savings go down. Oh my God, will I have enough money? We feel this existential threat, something we were counting on, some idea of permanence, some idea of safety that depends on permanence has been threatened, has been undermined, and then therefore the sense of self feels this existential exposure, this anxiety, this uneasiness. And this is just sort of comes with the territory of this delusion of a fixed self. But by taking our life every moment, as many moments as possible, and just using the reality of change, it's already here, we don't need a different kind of moment or a different kind of life, a different kind of bodily experience, because whatever our present moment experience is, it will be an adequate teacher of impermanence. It's perfectly, the moment is perfectly equipped to teach us about impermanence. Any moment will do. Because every moment in the past, present, and future perfectly is perfectly expressing the truth of change, of flow, of nothing lasting long at all. And we can cultivate this perception so we're really feeling like reality is misty, ephemeral, it's it's not what we thought it was. Initially, it might be very shocking for someone, for people, but it's also profoundly liberating in ways we can't actually understand until, it, I mean, even when <clears throat> insight starts to deepen, it's not necessarily something we can put into words. <clears throat> but what we do find is that we've been changed by our practice, and that, in a way, is the only reliable barometer for practice. You know, isn't something that someone can say happened to them? What The only reliable thing in terms of assessing your own practice or assessing anybody else's is how has the practice changed that person? Or how has the practice changed me? Is, is my heart, my body more easeful? Am I able to dance with gain and loss, pleasure and pain, fame and disrepute, praise and blame, more easily as it unfolds in my life? Right? Am I more able to engage in more creative ways? And this is the, the thing, because one of the um, symptoms of looking for permanent permanence as a refuge is that we tend to need to retreat from engagement, from relationship, from life. We tend to retreat into our bubbles because it's only in our bubbles that seem to provide some reliable permanence. But when I engage the messiness of relationship and family and activism and, yeah, just all the places in our worlds and communities that are acting, asking for our engagement, when we lean in, when we show up, well, all of those places are going to, in a very dynamic, real way, demonstrate the truth of change and the unreliable, ephemeral, insubstantial, ungovernable nature. And it, it could say, oh, no, I want something permanent. I want 
to astroturf my lawn so I don't have to mow it and there aren't any more weeds and I want to sterilize this and I want to fix that and I want a really big car and I want this and I want that and I want to make my skin taut so it doesn't get baggy and all these sort of things that are in a way an abomination in our natural world, right? Because we've we've sort of, you know, our ignorance has turned nature into an enemy, which is all we got. All we got is nature. And so um, really look at your own habits of how retreating into our bubbles where we, our thinking mind, gets to define everything. That's our safety because our world gets smaller and smaller, tighter and tighter. And even though it might feel scary to more fully engage, more fully live in our worlds, responding to what seems to be asked of us in our worlds and our communities, we might actually learn that it's that the exposure <clears throat> is okay, that it's okay to come into alignment with things being uncertain and ungovernable and a little or a lot wild. That that might actually, we might feel more free, more alive. We might end up learning how to live in alignment. And of course, there's, a li there's an important balance. I mean, obviously in a tradition that values finding a quiet place to sit still away from the hustle and bustle, Clearly, there's a place, right? We learn along the edge where we're not completely overwhelmed. But that edge doesn't always have to be in a formal meditation time. That's a nice place where we develop confidence, but then we want to take it into these more edgy places where there is uncertainty, where things aren't controllable, governable. And then we, we have this teaching from our ancestors. Well, this is change. This is the truth of change, the truth that things are insecure and uncertain and unreliable and ungovernable. Does this actually have to be a problem or might relaxing with this be liberating? Well, let me, exp let me experiment. So it's been really nice to be together. Have a nice day, everybody. Be well, everybody. This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org.